Alright, welcome to GothCast. This is episode 44, and I'm Dr. Sanders. And I'm that man with a face of radio, James. like that. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not very... Well, you know, it says a lot about who you are as a person. Yep. Good old radio face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about a a band. You know, on GothCast, we haven't covered a ton of bands who exclusively started in the... 90s or you know like first released their albums in the 90s in fact i can barely even think i think maybe typo negative maybe one of the few only ones that we've covered oh yeah typo negative good band good band yeah they're amazing Amazing work i like that's if anybody listened to that the episode was all i did was gush about them the entire time i was like yeah this album isn't that great but it's amazing uh but today we're actually gonna be talking about a band that has exclusively, well, didn't exclusively, but started releasing albums in the 90s and is a step away from 80s goth and to more of the what the 90s scene was doing and has a really dedicated fan base, still kind of niche in its own way. I, I feel like still it's a, a, a band that a lot of people have heard about but then haven't really listened to albums from or they, um, you know, they still have a, a weirdly niche status it's it's hard to describe but the band is going to be london after midnight good band i i listened to the four albums they had while you know preparing for this episode and they have a very very good sound to them and uh look forward to discussing it on this episode of gothcast me too <laughs> and so let's start off with the a little bit of history you know sean brennan is the voice behind london after midnight and basically like the what you would equate like Trent Reznor to Nine Inch Nails, like most of the, the albums and all most of the work is done by him. Then he pretty much has like a rotating cast of people who are his live band members. He's pretty much the one you need to talk about when you're talking about London After Midnight. And yes, London After Midnight is named after the movie London After Midnight. It is a black and white thriller, if I recall. Yeah, it's uh, starring Lon Chaney, the original Lon Chaney, uh, but it's Lost. It's a Lost film. Like there's no known copies of it. You can actually, I think you can buy a DVD that has it like production stills, like in a slideshow, and then they kind of recreate the movie. But it's one of those movies that was kind of lost. I think they weren't really into film preservation back in the day. So yeah, One of those films just lost time, like those movies I did back in my wilder days in college. That's right. They'll resurface like decades from now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, a little bit about Sean Brennan. I thought, you know, I thought this was kind of interesting. There's, especially because... A lot of our listeners probably, you know, really like the 80s and stuff. I thought it was really funny that one of the things that Sean Brennan, he, so I found all this information was actually put out by him. I want to make this clear. This isn't like something I made up, but um, it's my anger some of our fans is that Sean Brennan, lead singer, guitarist of London After Night, and his dislikes that he has on his website, the things that he dislikes, is the 1980s and most everything associated with it. Blasphemy. Conservatives, vanity, greed, ego, hunters, animal breeders, guns, people who worship the military, people who don't know the difference between facts and opinion, racist, homophobia, ignorance. So I, I don't have a problem with the rest of that, but yeah, I, th- I can't believe he says dislikes the 80s and almost everything associated with it. Seeing, especially when we get in the episode, you know, I think a lot of his music has some... It's, it feels kind of 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially the especially one album in particular. But it's, yeah, it's... Um, 
Yeah, he talks about how uh, drugs have never appealed to him. Uh, he says, I'm a total virgin to any drugs, actually. Never been interested in them. Rarely even drink alcohol. Maybe like once a year at this point. What a square. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really drink. But yeah, I am quite square. <laughs> Very pointy angles. Yeah, and he also talks about how, you know, this is another one of those examples of where we have a band, like pretty much every band that we've ever covered on Gothcast who's like super goth saying that they're not goth or that they don't want to be associated with goth. You know, we did it with The Cure so that they're, oh, you know, we're not we're not goth. Uh, I know um, uh, who is it? I think I think Bauhaus said we're not goth or something like Peter Murphy. I know that I've made a video and Peter Murphy in the interview clip says like he's never heard of goth. Well, if you want my opinion, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and puts on black makeup like a duck. It's, it's prob- a goth duck. It's a goth duck. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> he says, oh, you know, we're just a, a rock band with, with eccentricities. Yeah, he says that basically categories exist as a shadow of the corporate world. Their view is music needs to be classified for the consumer as a means to sell and divide people. Yeah, uh, it says, but yeah, in an interview from 2000, he says, you know, what are your true feelings on goth scene and do you consider it London After Midnight Goth, he says, no, London After Midnight aren't goth as goth is defined today, which is primarily a fashion scene rather than a music scene. Oh. Well, some ointment to that sick burn. <laughs> so funny, especially with the year 2000. I mean, you know, because all the stuff of new goth and pastel goth is today, you know, where that's literally just based off of fashion and not music. But it's like, you know, the year 2000. I mean, we you, all know that real goth is not on the outside; it's on what's inside. It's on the inside, or what's not inside. <laughs> I like, just feelings. I like, <laughs> I like that. It's pretty good. <laughs> so I thought, you know, give you some ideas about Sean Brennan and kind of his views. He actually is an interesting specimen, to to say the least. Yeah, I like that specimen. Um, yeah, I think it's cool. He has a lot of opinions that you know people might think are harsh. He isn't afraid to talk politically, and um, you know you got to give credit to that. I mean, yeah, you know it's like in a world that we have today, you know, talking politically can get you, you know, can get you killed these days. That is true, actually. Like, politics is a very touchy subject, so you gotta you gotta respect the guy who says I'm, I'm not afraid to get political. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but yeah, so we're gonna get into the first album here. So the band had been performing for a few years before this. Uh, but the first release, and it's actually the first album, um, and you can find, there's like other versions of it and different things, but we're talking about the one you're going to find most commonly that was released. I think it has, it's like an amended one because there is... Yeah, it was originally released in 92, and then they re-released it with bonus tracks in uh, 03 and 08. Yeah, and there is like a cassette version or some release of it, and it has a song called October on it. Oh, and And Sean Brennan... He has addressed that song, and he said, you know, is there a song called October by London After Midnight? He says, oh, you know, that's a song from another band I was playing in. Or, yeah, and they, I think he replaced it with another song. Yeah, he did. And so so some versions have uh, swapped around track listings and stuff. So just letting you know, but we're going to talk about, you know, the um, the basic songs like we usually do, like the first release of it. Um, yeah, I would say... The first official release, not the cassette one. Yeah, and then... <laughs> I would say probably for your bang, the best bang for your buck, though, you're probably going to want to look at the 2003 release. It comes with a lot more tracks than the uh, the originals. 
yeah, we'll get into this. Um, so yeah, this is selected scenes from the end of the world. This was released up 1992, and keep in mind this was self-released on you know London After Midnight or Tom Brennan's own record label until 1995 when it got some distribution in Europe. And it wasn't even released in North America, I think, by a, by a record label. Until uh, like 98. Yeah, so it's it's crazy. They were kind of touring and performing on that album and for that long. Oh, and by the way, I do know, and everybody always posts this photo of John Koviak from Propaganda Magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Uh, but on, <laughs> on like all my social media, people always post pictures of John Koviak all the time. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. And they always say John Koviak of London After Midnight. I'd like to point out, John Koviak wasn't on any albums. He's just really beautiful. And I always see that photo. I The problem is with, I'm sick of seeing pictures of John Koviak right now because everybody always posts the same like five photos of him. Not that he's not a good looking guy or anything, but I'm just saying like, I always see like John Koviak of London After Midnight. It's like, well, he wasn't really on any releases and there's no... F- I don't think there's any footage of him playing with the band, and yes, yeah, I don't know. It's a mystery. Yeah. It's a mystery, Scoob. We gotta, we gotta solve it. I like that Scooby Dooby Doo. Oh man, that Adam Sandler Scooby Doo thing. I'll talk. Maybe I'll talk about that. But uh, so we're getting into select scenes from the end of the world, and I'll say right off the bat, I, you know, I really like this album. It had, it had some good songs on it. Songs like when I re-listened to it with you. There was a couple songs that I picked out, and I'm like, I know I've heard this before, like yeah. way back in the day. Like Sacrifice, but right? But I could not place it. Like, I swear I think I've heard Sacrifice, it was, I think. Yeah. Uh, I heard that, like, I think on the end, on, on the end credits of some movie somewhere, and I just it just escapes my mind right now, and it's driving me nuts. Yeah, oh, that was my uh, text sound. <laughs> this just in. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, actually. I should I should look up see if Sacrifice is actually on soundtrack some. But it didn't. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> I know, right? But yeah, uh, I'll I'll say that in terms of in terms of goth music, I actually feel that London After Midnight does take a lot of things. It's funny because he says, you know, Sean Brennan says he dislikes everything from the '80s, but this album sounds it sounds very '80s. It sounds very very late '80s. I think uh, the guitar actually reminds me. The way the guitar sounds actually reminds me of like almost like hair metal sometimes because it's a little bit, yeah, yeah, like with the way it is very metal y. Yeah. It's, it's hard to describe. It's like, like it the first album has a really good sound, which is, you know, I think one of the reasons why it stands out from some of the other albums. Yeah, I it takes a lot of the eighties albums, like the classic kind of, you know, eighties sound and does something different with it's a little bit more metal and that's that makes more sense because, you know, it was you know, nineties went into like industrial and stuff mm-hmm. and also, as a kind of a jab towards uh, Mr. Brennan, uh, it says here on the Wikipedia uh, page for the album that its genre is gothic rock I know, or right? dark wave. I know, <laughs> Take yeah. Take that, Sean. I'm so... <laughs> sorry. Wikipedia would disagree with you, Wikipedia sir. Wikipedia disagrees. I'm sorry. And you know, when Wikipedia is the... Use it for all your school papers. Trust me. Can't go wrong. That's right. <laughs> I'll say that the sound of London After Midnight, actually, if I was going to... I was trying to rack my head to think of what this album sounds like and it really reminds me of a cross between like Rosetta Stone and Human Drama and I know those are not the most well-known goth bands yeah uh yeah and trust me I think that it sounds really similar I was trying to think of like the way the he talks the way he, you know he sings 
and it really reminded me of of those two like you take those two bands because you have electronic drums Mm -hmm. you have a very strong like bass and it actually there's like almost like it's almost like slap bass at some points in this Mm -hmm. it's like i like what they do a lot with it like black cat and stuff and but you have a a really reverby distorted guitar and guitar is a big part of this band you know what actually it reminds me of it doesn't remind me of a particular music it reminds me of a movie it makes me i think of the crow whenever i hear it (laughs) i wonder if he was on that soundtrack i i maybe look up the crow soundtrack i'm curious I'm, i'm gonna do that right now while you keep going you know talking about particular songs that i really like and things that i guess reminded me of it uh, reminded me of other bands actually revenge it opens up with uh like a hitler speech and it uh, reminds me of the song democracy by the damned although democracy came out way later but it really reminds me of christian death with re- the repent lyrics and uh, it's mostly driven by bass and drums and the guitar is like really noisy and stuff and i will say that the vocal style no, no and, it's not on there uh, <laughs> But the vocal style really reminds me of Christian Death at times where it's he's almost like talk singing and it's it's really poetic. It almost is like he's just reading poetry. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like he's like belting out like these really extreme vocal performances. How'd you like the song Black Cat? It's pretty good actually. Like it had it's like the rest of the album's like kind of mellow, but Black Cat kind of stuck sticks out a bit. Well, I think it's funny cuz the that's the song I think that really is the most 80s sounding. It has like the chunky like eighties bass on the chorus and I, I love it. I really love the song. Yeah, bass bass really can, you know, is is kind of like a particular taste of mine when it comes to music. I like I like heavy bass. Yeah. And this this album actually really has it and I really like the instrumentation on it. You know, the well the drums I guess they are like programmed in drums or like electronic drums or something. Cheater. I know. <laughs> uh, but uh you know, I really like the energy on this album. It seems like it's really passionate music. And I like that he wasn't afraid to go, like, full-on horror movie, you know, like, spooky kind of thing. A perfect example is the song Claire's Horrors. It has these really spooky lyrics, you know, Walk Down Me with a Cemetery. I like how it has almost like a punk sort of influenced guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, still has a lot of reverb and stuff, but it's, it's really heavy. And I like it. And it's really aggressive. Pretty much the only complaint I, I really have about this album is the vocals at times... Are, they kind of fade a little bit. Well, they're a little relaxed. And by that, I mean, like, you'll have this song where it's this really, like, epic keyboard stuff, and it just almost seems like a little bit, almost like the the band Christian Death somewhere. It's almost like talk singing at some points. Yeah, and, yeah, I, I, get, I, I agree. I agree on that. Yeah, and it's, it's not bad. I'll point out it's not bad. Like, I actually really like the style of this album. I think it works for what it is. I think the vocals are just where they need to be. They're really raw you know they're not there's not like a ton of layering and stuff you know so it's it still sounds like almost almost like a live band kind of a little bit yeah sort of but still really good i can't believe he says you know like i don't like i hate everything from the 80s because it sounds so much like a like a late 80s early 90s album the 80s gave you like so many cool things though all these all like a lot of sports scenario movies (laughs) for one that's true what's the start friday the 13th franchise started in 1980 (laughs) Oh, you know what album this reminds me of? Hmm. The Damned Phantasmagoria. And I love that album because this album is so not afraid to be spooky. While Sean Brennan may say he hates goth music or or he doesn't want to be associated with goth music, this album is like one of those albums I think fits perfectly for like Halloween kind of stuff. Even in, even his next album doesn't. 
he wasn't afraid to go with over the top lyrics, really poetic, really dark kind of stuff. In fact, the lyrics, pretty much every single song is like a love song. Some of them are kind of whoa, but <laughs> uh, but I, I put some in here that I thought were like, huh, that's interesting. But the song Nightmare has like the super long keyboard intro. It's a really dark, romantic love song. And apparently the girl at the end dies from having sex or something. I I swear, because it talks about licking my lips. I tasted her salt. Then she sat up and gasped and clutched at her breast. I thought she was coming. I'd never have guessed. As she grew pale, as white as a flower, she collapsed to the floor and was dead in an hour. Like, what? Hot. You, what? <laughs> so I guess like... Like if you listen, if you try to like break down the lyrics for a lot of these songs, I'm like, like a lot of them are like really sexual. Uh, so it's basically, I mean, literally, it's basically an album of like love songs, really dark goth love songs, and they're really it's good. I like it, but sometimes whenever you break down lyrics, you're like, it's kind of weird. Yeah, there ain't no love like goth love. That's true. That's very true. I'm glad you said that because it's so true. But of course, one thing that we couldn't skip over on this album is Spider and the Fly. And this is one of the most well-known songs by Lone After Midnight. I'll just say Wrath Bat. Great bass, drum, everything in this album is awesome. I think it's one of the better vocals, vocal performances on this album. Kind of reminds me of like a, if the Sisters of Mercy had done like better 90s material, uh, <laughs> then... Shots fired. Yeah, I know, right? Vision thing is... I, yeah. Uh, but I think this is like what it could have been like if it was much better <laughs> parts of it really remind me of like typo negative like the keyboard and stuff and everything uh, and the slow f- like there's a, a slow breakdown part with like all this guitar feedback and everything and if there's one thing that's awesome that i love about london for midnight is anything that sounds like typo negative to me that's a huge plus and there's a lot of things about london for midnight that are like typo negative you know gothic romantic love songs that also have a really weird turn and like could be seen as some kind of strange event that happens with it. True, true. Uh, you know, having reverby or like aggressive guitars and having electronic drums because Tapa Negative, they did electronic drums from I think it was October Rust to Life is Killing Me or something. There's a lot of parallels, but maybe I'm just putting that in my head because I really like Tapa Negative. You've but, been swayed by the dark side. That's true. Well, <laughs> like this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I actually, I was familiar with London After Midnight, um, especially this album. But actually having to sit down and really break down this album and break down a lot of their albums, I really enjoyed this one a lot more than I thought I was going to. After I like really broke it down and looked at all the, all the other albums and just how much this album stood out for 1992. Select the Scenes from the End of the World, I, I really recommend it. And I think if you're into 80s goth, I think it's a great starter for London After Midnight. And it has a lot of really good songs. You know, Black Cat, Revenge, Spider and the Fly, Nightmare. I mean, there's kind of just, to me, just hit after hit on it. So that's what I think. What do you you think? Would you you recommend it or do you have a less opinion, lesser opinion? I would say that this is probably my second favorite album. Probably has some of my favorite songs. Uh But I think the, uh, the overall tone of the album... While being really good, I think uh, I guess some of the problems you discussed with like the vocals and stuff kind of just detracted just enough to make it my second favorite just by a small margin. But we'll get into uh, my favorite uh, album down the line. Yeah, it's like really the only downside of this album. I, it's not, and like I said, it's not even that bad. It just depends on your taste. 
it just has a some things just have a really raw performance to them and i like that you know and i think it's it's really good i still think it really works um but even just with the next album we're going to see there's a lot more mixing and a little bit of influences from something else going on that is selected scenes from the end of the world and i highly recommend it for all you people who you know even though you won't be there with sean brennan but if you like 80s goth music like especially i you know, i really compare this to phantasmagoria but especially if you like things like human drama or rosetta stone especially uh you can like this album so that's it yep all right welcome to random interesting goth stuff or recent you mean rigs yeah Welcome to Riggs, you mean. <laughs> That's what I meant. Uh, and, of course, the top news lately, and, you know, oh, this isn't really goth, right? No, it's not considered, right? Because uh, people... Everything is considered goth, as long as you don't have hope. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this story is about Marilyn Manson, and, if, of course, if you're listening to this episode later... You may not know, you know, off the top of your head what we're talking about. What we are talking about is this stage prop, his giant stage prop fell on him and broke his leg during a show. It's pretty bad. Actually, I think at the time we're recording this, he just posted like an update. Like he was kind of off the grid for a little bit. But during the playing of Sweet Dreams, he was kind of leaning and writhing, you know, doing Marilyn Mansoning all over this stage prop. And... He says he, like, as soon as he touched it, it started to fall over. But from the video, it's hard to look, see if he, like, was actually pulling on it or what. He said he was trying to stop it from falling, but then it fell on top of him. The only thing we know for sure is that after it fell, for a few moments, the band kept playing. Now, that's dedication yeah, right that, there. That, I think, you know, especially with that, probably as loud as it was, they're probably like, uh, what? <laughs> he had to be, you know, they obviously quit the show. He was put into an ambulance and at the hospital they took a look at his leg and then they had to insert a plate and 10 screws into the bone yeah, and another sc- broke his fibula on his right leg in two places yeah and they also had to um fix up his ankle i guess he had like hurt his ankle earlier like a day before or something uh so they did that while they were there i guess and now he has a cast and they still take like uh, you know maybe like four months or something to heal fully uh, so I hope he actually stays off it because, man, I got to tell you, whenever you have constant leg issues, that is, like, really annoying. So just stay off it. That's my recommendation, Marilyn Manson, if you're listening. Yep. <laughs> Get well soon. Get back to, you know, making some music. Some questionable music. Get back to make. <laughs> yeah, I was a fan in high school, you know. You know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. You know, you weren't on the, the first episode of Marilyn Manson, but you're going to be on part two. Yeah. Sometime soon. I will uh, be on part two. <laughs> and uh, you can talk about your history with that when we get to that. Awesome. But another funny thing, or I don't know if it's funny or messed up or... If it's messed up, it's probably funny. Yeah. So many of you know that Marilyn Manson has had a beef with his old keyboardist. I think his keyboardist, you know, Madonna and Wayne Gacy. And he doesn't like Marilyn Manson, to put it lightly. And... They had this whole argument about unpaid royalties and all this stuff, and he called like Marilyn Manson, you know, faker and all this other stuff. But when this happened, he started posting to Facebook or, or social media, and I'm going to read you some of these things, James. I, ch- I had to keep this. Oh, you kept this under wraps? Yeah, I did. Okay. I want to hear this. It's, a, it's pretty funny. 
<laughs> here's what he said on his updates, basically making fun of him. So I said, this is what the doctor, this is what the doctor would say. Get this man morphine, stat. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Marilyn Manson. <laughs> he says, it's a trifecta. One, attention for a poorly selling LP. Two, a reason to avoid the work of touring. And three, an excuse to get pain meds. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> man crushed by feather. Details at 11. I'd watch that news broadcast. The best part of this article is the critically acclaimed, in quotes, 2015 album, Pale Emperor. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Keep in mind, there's a lot more of these. I'm just kind of picking my favorite ones. I used to find him so witty. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Now he's about as sharp as a bag of marbles. (laughs) Seriously, what has he done to deserve this? I mean, besides climbing on a stage prop, wasted. (laughs) I guess he was close enough for my black magic to work. I'm sensing just a little bit of hostility in these words. This is why old, wasted people shouldn't fumble around in the dark. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. That one's actually pretty funny. Pretty good. Uh, and, and anyways, if you're going to be climbing the scaffolding, shouldn't you be doing that during the song My Monkey? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Let's see, the guy had this much disdain for him, as you said. Then, like, I imagine there's probably like a book full of this stuff. He's just been saving up for something like this. Seriously, I do like, I do like, you know, Marilyn. But you know, it's kind of funny to hear like the smack talk. Oh, here we go. Here's the best one. It's funny. All right, hit me. I forgive him, but I hope he suffers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds like I like that. That sounds like every. That sounds like every one of my exes. <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah, so I thought that was funny. Uh, Pretty funny, yeah, actually. <laughs> I was like, I mean, yeah, of course you don't want anybody to be in pain or whatever, but it's like, it, yeah, I mean, I he's mean, okay. Okay, he's yeah, he's not his life's not in danger. You know, he'll recover. And as much as I like the guy, you know, it's it's always fun to hear people throw shade at other people. Exactly. And if you really like something, you should be able to th- appreciate the shade being thrown at it, or be able to throw shade yourself. Well, our second news story is Phil Anselmo, Philip Anselmo, if you're not familiar with him, most famous for being the singer Pantera, and I guess, you know, he's famous for Down, that band too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said he's going to start a new project called N Minor, E-N space minor, and it's going to be influenced by The Cure and Sisters of Mercy. And I was like, oh, you know, what What does he mean by that? And he, he says... I have a record coming out that's been finished for two years, almost. And he, he always you know, he says, of course, because he, he works all the time, and he actually runs a label. You know, he always talks about how long it takes for things to get released because of certain legal stuff. He said, it's going to be a band called N Minor, and I guess it would be my Hello, Great Dark 80s of Sisters of Mercy of the Cure 17 Seconds record and Faith album. Early The Cure, Early U2, Nick Cave, and the fucking Bad Seeds, or The Birthday Party, David Bowie. I take all these influences, and then somehow we came out with the results. It is what it is. I'll let people decide at the end of the day, and we'll see. But once again, I'm not shooting for radio time here. I'm just trying to broaden my horizons. Writing some hearkening songs, but I think they have their own life. And then he goes on and on. I respect that. I, know, like, I mean, I'm. I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but I'm interested to like give that a listen. You know, I've heard some of his other stuff, 
And people always complain that his voice is shot or whatever. I don't think it is. I think it's just like, it's just one of those things where I don't think anybody's voice can really be shot. I just think you have to work with what you got yeah. as you get older. I think it's, you know, maybe just lack the passion that he had when he started, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. And then, like he said, that he's, you know, what you said, you know, he's not looking for radio time. He's, he's kind of doing a labor of love here. So maybe we'll get some, you know, quality from from this. Yeah, I'm really hoping. So uh, I think we, I think a long time ago on the podcast, we mentioned this book. And it's this Bauhaus, like, visual history book. Undead, the visual history and legacy of Bauhaus book. It got canceled. I think we even did a follow-up, like, me and Robbie Gore. And before my time. Yeah, before your time. And it was fun. It was weird because, you know, I didn't, you know, I do tons of book reviews for the YouTube. And everybody kept saying, oh, pick up this one. And it didn't get released. Like, I think it's been over a year since that was even talked about. And now it is looking like it's starting pre-orders. So the site is Cleopatra Music and Times. Apparently the actual website is cleorex.com. But it's going to start pre-ordering on, of course, Halloween, Spouse. Ah. And so... too spooky for me. It is quite expensive. <laughs> I can see the price tag from here, like $70 price tag. 70 bucks, $70 pre-order. That better be a good book, man. Yeah. So it's finally getting released. I haven't really heard the response from people. I, You know, I, I got sent this by a lot of people because, you know, obviously I reviewed um, David J's book and I do reviews of all the Bauhaus albums and I did stuff for the YouTube. So obviously I talk about Bauhaus a lot. 70 bucks is it's a little rich for my blood mm-hmm. for a book. I mean, I bought a lot of books secondhand, but uh, I have a feeling this will be the one of those books where if I don't buy it now, it'll be really expensive later. Just like the, you know, I had the Art of Roz Williams up there from, you know, singer Christian Death. And that book, the hardbound version of that and like it's signed and stuff, like that book goes for a lot Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things because, you know, a lot of goth stuff is kind of niche. I mean, Bauhaus is probably probably top five goth band, so it's, it's a chance of not being as crazy as other stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I've, I'm i like, hmm, because if I don't order it now, it may go up in price a lot. But if I do order it and then it becomes cheaper later, I'll be like, damn, I spent $70 on this book. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so this book contains... And here's what it says it contains. Original stories penned by Kevin Haskins. Handmade flyers by the band, backstage passes, show posters, photographs from Kevin's personal collection, band artwork, set lists, contracts. Oh, that'd be cool. That's kind of neat, actually. Uh, fan club material, ticket stubs, pins. Is it scans of pins? Not actual pins, right? Maybe it's like a, a page made of like actual like just compressed pins. It's just like a foil page. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so, but it would it'd be cool. <laughs> uh, recording schedule, photos of vintage instruments, tour itineraries, letters, Bauhaus, Bauhaus comic strip. What? <laughs> and handwritten lyrics. Hmm, I'm actually more most interested in the Bauhaus comic strip. Interesting. Hmm. But yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool it's getting made. Like I said, I mean, at the moment, like I just found out about this, you know, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. I just found out about it now. <laughs> right. And uh, I'm, like, excited. Is it coming hardback or is it uh? Yeah, it's like a hardback book. It's cool. Look at it. Look right here. Uh, yeah, I bought a couple books like that back in the day. Not necessarily, not necessarily for music, but uh, 
couple uh you know compendiums of like different artists and stuff like that yeah that it's so funny the out the outside of that cover reminds me of something but i can't i can't figure out what book it reminds me of it's definitely something i already have i know i mean it, it looks it looks really familiar right yeah I'm, i can't put my finger on it it's like this black it's like the material like it's black but it's like a black carbon book but the material like the it looks like something i can't i can't figure out what it is but uh if you're interested in that you can pre-order it just you know, search Bauhaus Undead, the visual history, and legacy of Bauhaus. It's kind of why is Bauhaus in there twice? Uh, so you know, you need as much Bauhaus as you can get. You need to. You need all that Bauhaus. So it's probably going to be a limited release, at least for right now. So mm-hmm. October thirty first, get your pre-orders in. And uh, do it. Yeah. So that's our news. Of course, Marilyn Manson getting crushed by stage prop. Phil uh, Anselmo new album, and then uh, Bauhaus visual guide actually getting released so thanks back to music so now we are on to 1995 so three years later i mean technically select scenes from the end of the world were was recorded in 1991 but it was released in 92 so it's like three years later yeah okay or not that all not that late from their re-release in uh europe i think right? yeah that's right yeah when it was <clears throat> actually picked up by a record label distributed yeah so psycho magnet is 1995 and we can already see a lot of i i hear a lot of change oh yeah it sounds way more 90s like the last one sounded really 80s this one sounds super 90s yeah and i think a big influence on the sound was the industrial scene and probably i you know i i hate just to just assume but probably nine inch nails was a big influence on the way the sound shifted because there's a lot more industrial sounding stuff on here oh yeah i think a perfect example of if you want to hear where i think that comes from is if you listen to the song hate you know it shows a lot of where i think london after midnight was trying to go you know it has a lot more vocal effects it has switches from you know aggressive to really slow parts but the fast parts really remind me of like a Nine Inch Nail song. Try and picture this song, you know, hearing it with Trent Reznor singing it and see if <laughs> see if that makes sense in your head. Like it's not some, uh, you know, dramatic change. <laughs> but, you know, saying that, also, I also really did like a lot of the songs on this album. It's not, you know, just because it sounded a little bit different than select scenes from the other world doesn't mean it wasn't good. Oh, yeah. Good album. Good album to be sure. Yeah. A perfect example of you know, another really classic song that is from this album is the song Kiss. And there's like a, I think it's like a club version of it too that's, you know, more dancey. Yeah, um, I uh, I think Kiss might be one of my favorite songs off the album. Yeah. Again, really industrial sound. Uh, it's still similar to the first album, the main keyboard riff, but it has, you know, really fuzzy distorted bass. But I will say, this is one of those things where the lyrics, I just, I always, you know, I select somewhere... I thought people might find it interesting or provocative. Um, this one has the lyrics, take me, rape me, I know you love me and always will. But I don't. I'll always love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sign those divorce papers. <laughs> never gonna, oh man. And yet again, on the Wikipedia uh, page for this album, genre is listed as gothic rock. <laughs> sorry, Sean. I'm so sorry. We didn't do that. <laughs> but we would if we could. We would, totally would. Uh, but you also have the the weird goth thing of having like Egyptian influences. Oh, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, like 
obviously Sister Mercy had that with like Dominion and the whole music video for that, and Sister Mercy, not Sister, um, Susie and the Banshees had Arabian Nights and uh, what was the other one? Cities in Gold. Uh, that weird. Yes, they like to walk like an Egyptian, talk like an Egyptian. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but Carry On Screaming had uh, that kind of thing, and again, like. The the one of the biggest differences, other than like the kind of industrial sounding stuff on this, is the vocals are way more processed on this. Oh yes, the vocals for me are definitely a step up from uh from the last uh from the last album selected scenes from the end of the world. Definitely the uh, vocals, as you said, sound a lot more processed, a lot cleaner than uh yeah. They kind of like I said uh the last album they kind of trail off a little bit with that kind of talking singing. Yeah. This one that feels a bit a bit more professional, which is to be expected. Yeah, finally been picked up by an actual uh, label at this point. Yeah, it's it is a little strange, you know. It's some people I could definitely see liking the first album's vocals a little bit more, and for me they're just different. Okay. Yeah, don't mind me. I'm just dying of the the bronchitis. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, I think they're just they're just really different. I think he got a little bit more confidence singing. By this album, and I think that shows. I think it took a little bit more risk with courses and kind of being a little bit more aggressive with stuff. But yeah, you have a lot. Like Carry On Screaming has like super heavy vocal effects. A Letter to God has distorted vocals, and and it, but it, you know it it works. And to be honest, honestly, I kind of appreciate the uh, the uh, industrial influence to it because I kind of just I have like a soft spot for you know for industrial, mm-hmm. and uh, it just like I feel like this album really benefited from like the the influence of the times with uh industrial going on yeah yeah there's definitely some parts where you can pick out you're like oh that sounds like mystery or that sounds like nine inch nails or something like that mm-hmm. it may go deeper than that but i didn't really hear you know Lun after midnight is on definitely more poppy yeah while it's aggressive and stuff it is very melodic the riffs and stuff they're very catchy you know, they get stuck in your head a lot. and They won't get out. And they, you know, <laughs> yeah. Very catchy, repetitive courses and stuff. So I think doing the industrial thing works in a lot of ways because, you know, then you kind of amp up that a little bit but still keep it aggressive. It's hard to it's hard to explain exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, you can't really put it into words. But, you know, it's it's them taking a different step, uh, like a different direction than uh, their, their last album, and it, it worked. Oh, here's a note I put. So Psycho Magnet, the actual title track, Psycho Magnet. You know, again, like Egyptian feel, everything. But I said, here's how I described the vocals. And I think this sums up what I thought. Bit more in your face with the lyrics. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that phrase is, is, it just sums up a lot of 90s music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in your face, radical. In your face. But yeah, I, I think this is still a really good album. I think it's different. I don't know if it's as classic, uh, as appealing to me as the previous album. Well, you never forget your first time. That's true, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I will say it's still good. Oh yeah, it's 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 kind of like, um, you know, it's like having a really good sequel to a film, like where it improved on a lot of the stuff, like from the original, but the original still has that breakthrough like feel of it from when it first came on the scene which kind of elevates it yeah above you know even above whatever it was improved in the upcoming like you know 
sequels or next albums, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Something a little bit more has a little bit more heart in the original one. Mm-hmm. They can't really quite explain. But yeah. Uh, also, this when this was re-released, I do want to mention the song "Blessing." That's it's not on the original release, but the re-releases and stuff. Um, you're gonna find out most copies of it now if you're buying, you know, new ones. I will say, "Blessing" is an amazing song. Absolutely amazing. It has a guest singer on it, Lore, L-O-R-E. Amazing. I love, love the song, love the keyboards. It's a super powerful duet, and I really recommend, I almost would recommend Psycho Magnet just for that. <laughs> but I, I do recommend Psycho Magnet, but for different reasons. I think if you want a little bit heavier album, like in terms of aggression and stuff, this is it. Um, but I will say, like, there's like one song that I thought was really interesting I mean, outside of the, you know, if it's good or not. Also, for those thinking about checking out this album, there is a hidden track somewhere in this album. I'm not going to tell you where. It's up to you to find it. Yeah. Uh, but Letter to God has just, and it really reminded me of like a middle ground between the 80s and 90s. It's really spooky, you know, reverb guitars, concert drums, a bass and stuff. Too, too spooky for me. Too spooky for me. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, like I said, I recommend this album for different reasons. Listen to it and make up your own mind. And that is Psycho Magnet. Yep. Okay, so now we're going to be talking about oddities. Also, sometimes it's printed with the live, rare, acoustic, comma, remix. I mean, it seems like online people don't really care, but the actual, if you have like a CD, then the CD booklets are printed with that. At least on the older copies, it's it's a mess. Uh, so yeah, this is, yes. It, it is a mess. Yeah, so this is 1998, so it's two years after Psycho Magnet, and... You know, this is a very appropriately named album. Yeah, it it, it it is an oddity. At first glance, you know, it looks like it doesn't really offer anything new. But uh, but it definitely has a couple uh, original, in quotations, uh, songs on there. Yeah. Uh, so like there, There's a cover on there that uh, I'm a little on the fence about. But Okay, uh, so yeah, let's, let's get into what, what this is comprised of. So... There are live versions of the songs, you know, Claire Horror, Your Best Nightmare, uh, Letter to God. Atmosf- sacrifice. Yeah, Sacrifice. Atmosphere is actually just like this weird, like, melodies and, like, poetry kind of thing. And then an acoustic version of Spider and the Fly, which is amazing. This is pretty much my favorite song on the album is actually this version of the song. Because I already love the song, but then this is the best version of the song. Yeah, the... Uh... I think you told me uh, that you prefer the uh, acoustic version of this to the original. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm kind of on the fence a little bit about, I would say the original mix of the album of Selected Scenes from the End of the World. Yes. But the remastered version of Selected Scenes from the End of the World, that version of Spider and Fly is like, I think a lot better. It's the same song, but just mixed differently. Mm-hmm. Oh, what am I saying? No, the acoustic version is better than that. Yeah, this is probably my favorite version of the song. Uh, it's it's amazing. I absolutely love it. I think it has a lot of heart in it. It has a lot the right energy, and I it just I just really enjoy it. And then let's touch a little bit on some of the original songs that come on the al- the album here. We've got a uh, well, not necessarily original. Uh, we have a cover of Sally's song from the Tim Burton film Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. And uh, I want to say I'm kind of half in, half out for this one. I think that the lyrics, you know, well, not lyrics, but the the vocals are fine, but 
you can kind of tell the guy is just basically just imitating Sally. He's just doing his best imitating Sally and swapping, you know, he for she. But I will say the instrumentals are very nice on uh, Sally's song. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, he is kind of adding more of an accent. Uh, yeah, it's more of an imitation, less of a less of an original take on it, more more of a direct cover kind of thing. Is it, does that make sense to everybody out there? It's just really imitating it. It's kind of not putting his own spin on it. As yeah, much. it's like it's like the it's kind of like uh, him singing it. You can kind of feel like he's trying to just imitate. Whereas like when Evanescence covered it on the on the album. Uh, Occurring Nightmares or something like that. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, oh, is that that one where it has like Marilyn Manson singing this Halloween? Yeah, yeah, and Korn doing Let's Kidnap the Santa Claus. You could totally tell like they were singing their versions of the song. Korn? Yeah, Korn was Korn played Kidnap the Santa Claus, and it's and it's kind of one of my favorite ones. It's not the best one on the album, but hearing the the vocalist of Korn doing like all three of the little minions and arguing with himself, like "Shut up, make me," is kind of uh, wow. is kind of funny. That is crazy. But I... like, just going focusing on Evanescence when she's singing, when you know they're doing it and she's singing uh, Sally's song, you can you can go listen to it. And go, oh yeah, this is Evanescence covering you know this song. But you know you can it has an Evanescence feel to it. This one, you know. It's almost like he's reading it off the paper. I yeah, I guess. Like he's it's like yeah. he's reading the notes of the direction that, you know, they gave to uh whoever voices Sally's uh singing voice if it was a different uh actress or person than who did her speaking voice. So you want a Sally after midnight, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. All right, yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I I still like it for what it is. Yeah, I will say that yeah, it's like I'm not saying it's bad. It's just I'm like I'm I feel like it could be more. Like the, like mm-hmm. Sean Brennan could have just put a little bit more of himself into this song instead of just putting Sally into the song through him. Yeah. But I will say the the instrumentals and you know the sound of like the song itself is really good. Yeah. I give it a passing grade, but I'd say it's I give it a B. I give it a B. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oof. That's tough. Yeah. It'd be an A if, you know, he put just a little more heart into those lyrics. Okay. Well, he puts heart in something. I get what you're saying. <laughs> and then as far as other original songs, oh, we're, we're including the bonus song because this was when CDs had like 70 blank tracks and then like they have a yeah. song at the end. But there's two kind of Christmassy songs. So it's literally the Christmas song. And there's the song Ice. Yeah, Ice, definitely. When you showed me that song, I thought, are we listening to a Christmas album here? Is this still London After Midnight? <laughs> yeah, it is. You hear like the jingle bells going in that song. Yeah, and the Christmas song is, you know, does have that whole like moody, wintry kind of. That one I buy, but it's like when just listening to Ice out the gate, you feel like you feel like you're listening to a different album, like Louis Armstrong or someone who's like some someone else notorious for putting out millions of Christmas <laughs> albums is gonna just be like. Start singing like ah, see tree. Yep. <laughs> but I do, I do like the Christmas song. Oh yeah, I yeah. think it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's a weird, yeah. it's a weird opener. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, I figured you know the main focus of Oddities is kind of getting all the uh, the live tracks, and I feel like that's probably what uh, we would have expected them to open with, but then we get the Christmas song instead. Well, I'll say the Christmas song is. Like the instrument, pretty much the instrumentation on all these songs is really good. The Christmas song is really weird because it doesn't necessarily sound like anything from the first two albums, and it doesn't sound like anything from the next album. And especially since there's such a big gap, yeah, know, from this album to to the you know 2007 would be the next album. Because it'd be 2007 when there would be a next album. 
So it's kind of one of the stranger London After Midnight tracks because it's not reminiscent of really anything else. Yeah. It's almost like maybe that that would have been the next kind of album, but there was such a delay. Yeah, it doesn't sound anything like the the first album. It definitely doesn't sound anything like the second album. No. But speaking of the second album, Let Me Break You so it definitely sounds like something from Psycho Magnet. Yeah. It's pretty good. It really reminds me of the song Hate from Psycho Magnet. You know, more industrial mm-hmm. kind of 90s-ish influence maybe by some other artists. Good and, times, uh, good times. Yeah. Of course, one of the most uncreative titles ever, Untitled. Yeah, probably top three most common track name uh, for, a, for a song, aside from maybe track followed by a number. Yeah. Of course, The Cure famously have a song called Untitled on Disintegration. There's probably some other ones that I'm not thinking of, but I didn't like this song. I mean, I liked I like I like some of the sound from it, but it was kind of just it was kind of generic, really. I think the the biggest problem with it is just the vocals. It doesn't. Yeah, it kind of suffers from the original, like you know, London After Midnight problem, where the vocals were kind of for me were kind of just lacking. Yeah, it it's not as talk singing as some of the songs on scenes. Yeah, no, it's not but, not as much talk singing. But it's it just. I don't know, it just doesn't... It's hard to describe what's wrong with science. I just feel like it just doesn't mix that well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that one. But if you want a song that I would say is a London After Midnight song, is Demon. Yeah, that's uh, definitely uh, had that London After Midnight, you know, feel to me. Everything. Like, everything about that song just, to me, screams London After Midnight. It's like, it has the jangly guitar that he uses, it has the you know the kind of vocals that he usually uses and well, i guess you could say like older london after midnight because mm-hmm. you know with the next album he goes he goes heavy industrial on the, that one but, yeah uh, but this had like the more yeah original uh london after midnight feel compared to uh some of the other songs in the albums that weren't you know live covers exactly and by the way just a note on the live stuff it's I, you know, I wish I could, I, you know, I love live albums. In fact, I've talked, you know, multiple times about, I know you weren't on those episodes, but I've talked multiple times about a lot of the Cures live stuff and, uh, yeah, even I have some, uh, some live albums that, uh, that I care for. Yeah. Well, the, one of my, one of the best live albums I think is the Colts live at Lyceum. Such a, oh, such a good album. I just feel like the, the tracks on here, the live tracks, really lack a lot of energy. I don't know if it's... Maybe someone just flooded Sleeping Gas <laughs> I don't know if, into that stadium or wherever it is they were performing. Yeah, right. Well, I don't know if it's that they pulled out the audience too much or if there was an audience or, you know, whatever. But it seems like it just the... It doesn't feel like a live performance. Like, yes, the the performances are great. Like, mm-hmm. the instrumentation, the vocal, everything's great. Yeah, it's just, it just it feels like a lack of audience presence. Yeah, it's like, I just wish that there was, but it just doesn't have that same energy. And that's the only problem I have with it. And I, I will say, they're good songs, good mm-hmm. renditions, good everything, good performances. But I want some energy from it, and I, I didn't get that from it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of really missed for me, because I'm really picky with my, uh, with my live track selection. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to listen to a live track, I like to listen to a live track done by someone who really gets the audience, like, you know, involved. So that way, you're not necessarily like they have the audience singing, like, the song for them. Yeah. But, you know, but you can feel the mood of the room by listening to, like, how the audience is uh, just being around, like, these artists performing yeah. this song. Like, if you listen to a live, like, Metallica track, you feel, like, all that energy. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's a good example. Even though that Metallica has gotten really, it's kind of they're kind of uh, dropping off in quality. No, I'm not gonna, actually. Yeah, we should. I'm not going to mention. Yeah, I know probably some people are really big Metallica fans, so I'm I'm not keeping up enough with Metallica to be able to. Yeah. Because I feel like I haven't, I haven't listened me. to their newest album yet, so I, I'll I'm a, actually I'm gonna I'm gonna withdraw my judgment until I hear their newest album. You have a lot of li- albums listened to for this podcast, so you'll never have time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oddities honestly is is just that an oddity. I mean, it doesn't feel like a fully put together album, in my opinion. Yeah, it feels kind of taped together. It does. It does. And while yeah, while some of the stuff is good, I think it's all pretty good mm-hmm. for the most part. It's definitely passable. It's just yeah. And the spider hair and the fly. Oh my god, acoustic. Just go yeah, listen to it. That just, is the gem of the album. Totally. And while you know Christmas song and stuff and and demon, they're all good. It's just album is kind of it's kind of okay to me. It's yeah. This one, this is an album that if you pass on the the album, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be worse off. But if you're gonna cherry pick from it, you yeah. want to pick out you know spider and the fly. But yeah, just do, do Spiderfly, Demon, and I get I guess Christmas song. I guess. Well, let me break you. Eh, like it's just. I mean, if I, you're almost, if you're a huge like Nightmare like before Christmas fan, if you want to give Sally's song cover a chance. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Just that's cool. Is just a. Uh, it's like it's a cool thing to listen to. I mean, it's it's it's, it's not a bad song. It's just you know. Like well, I just said. think about it. it was before the exploitation of that film. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> I think it, it could have been. Actually, I don't even remember what uh, what year that uh, cover album came out. I don't know. It had to be two thousands. Yeah, it had to be two thousands because that was like at the height of like you know Corn's popularity. All right. And okay. And well, maybe stuff. we'll talk about that sometime. And I don't know. But uh, <laughs> okay. Um, but that, that's oddities, and it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is as the as it's titled an oddity. Okay, so now we're on to the final album, or the, at least at the time we're recording, it's the most recent album that has been released by London After Midnight, and that is Violent Acts of Beauty, which would be my favorite album of the four. Unlike Mr. Sanders. Here. I do not like this album that much. But yeah, this is... <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, this, uh, this album was released in 2007, so it's crazy to think this album is 10 years old. But you also gotta remember that the, the time between Oddities and this was nine years. Yeah, the music scene definitely changed a lot between that. I know. And also, you know, Sean Brennan is very vocal about his disdain for, I think, free access to music. I, I Or, you know, peer, definitely peer-to-peer sharing and stuff. I don't know how he feels about Spotify or anything like that. Well, I'll, I'll, give, him a, I'll give him one thing to, to smile about. At least on this one's Wikipedia page, it's not listed as gothic rock. On oh the genre, God. you know, and I feel that that is appropriate because this album is very different from. I feel like uh, I don't know. This album for, for me took a lot of what I liked about Psycho Magnet. It goes, into, I feel like it goes even farther with the industrial stuff, but it softens it, and I, I didn't like it that much. But what did you like about this album? Honestly, like when I when it came on when I was listening going through the albums at work this one drew me in right with the first song with this very retro kind of feel on beginning of the end it just opened up with it and it kind of just kept going i would say though my favorite song on this album is uh heaven now mm-hmm. that song like had like a very, very had a lot of soul in the lyrics oh no me. actually that's this is that's 
pretty much the closest we get to the old material is Heaven Now, because it has like the it's like a really good power ballad kind of thing. Though this album may be my favorite, I will say this: the song "Feeling Fascist" feels a bit on the nose to me. I will give. I'm that is my that is my gripe on this album. Yeah. <laughs> one song is like I like most of this album, but like that one song. Well, I'm not saying it's a bad song. It just feels the song name plus the lyrics are just a bit bit on the nose. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, this whole album. Uh, this is what I was talking about. Where I think he really isn't afraid to be political. Uh, obviously, I mean, just look at the cover and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, and look at some of the song names, like Feeling Fascist, uh, America's a Fucking Disease, The Kids Are All Wrong, Yeah, the Republic. Uh, it's, you know, the guy's, like, making a statement with the, with this album a bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, uh, yeah, it's... It's like, I feel like, yeah, it can be a bit too political sometimes, with, like, with music, but, you know, this one, this album is... If you just like, you don't even have to really like. I didn't really even have to like uh, really focus on this album a lot. Like sometimes, you know, I had to focus on a lot of things on the older albums to appreciate what was good. But on this one, kind of just, I could just waltz into this album and not really. I didn't really have to like really overanalyze it to be like, oh, this is real good. This is real good. It's like I just had like I I listened to it. I liked it. Hmm. I mean, that's that's good. I mean, there's there's definitely albums I've talked about on the show where I've said that where it's like I don't know for some reason I just connect with this album or you know. It's easy to listen to. I think this album does fall apart when you start to analyze it, at least in my opinion. And that a lot of the songs are, I mean, you have way more produced vocals. And a lot of songs for me just kind of sound the same. And, you know, if you like the songs, that's okay. For me, I think the reason why I kind of like this do- this uh, this album, it's like a hot dog. It's like if you look at what it's made of like too closely, you're not going to want it. But if it's like, if you just, you know, shut you up just, and enjoy the hot dog. Did you just dog. compare this album to a hot dog? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? I, I don't know. I mean. It's like, if you just don't, you know, just don't overthink it, eat the damn thing, you're going to like it. Is that what you, I don't know. How, I don't know how much of a recommendation that is for an album. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously it appeals to you in, in some way that it doesn't appeal to me. Uh, mostly it's like the sound. The sound of some of the songs is just kind of like a really kind of singled themselves out for me mm-hmm. here and there and i think it's like i think i had more memorable songs like as a, in like in total that i can count on like my hands you know yeah. than the other albums like i like the other albums like, I'm like oh this album's really good and like i really like this one song or maybe these two songs from this album this song it's like you know i can think of a few other songs like that i listened to and kind of just stuck with me Mm-hmm. Like maybe not so much for the lyrics. Sometimes it could be for the lyrics. Sometimes it's for the sound. Sometimes for it's you know the guitar. Sometimes it's the bass. Sometimes it's a little more industrial. Sometimes it's not as industrial. Mm-hmm. But it's like this album kind of just it, it just kind of clicked on me a bit. Yeah, at least to me, I think that the influences. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I definitely felt like the influences from other stuff is more pronounced on this. Oh yeah, for sure. And I really I noted all this stuff while I was listening to it. It's. Cause this is the one I had the least experience with. America's a fucking disease. I'm sorry, but it kind of reminded me of like a Marilyn Manson song. And it, it also doesn't help that a, a Marilyn Manson, like a year later, released a song called Armageddon Damn oh, Motherfucking oh, Get In. Yeah. I love that song. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I was like, how is, wait, how is that song? Armageddon Damn Motherfucking Get In. Yeah, it, the guitar sound really reminds me of his first album. And Complex Messiah is kind of just like. America's a fucking disease part two, honestly. And Republic, again, I feel like has a barely Manson-y vibe. 
I and I hate to say that. I mean, you know, because I I hate comparing it, but I you know I hear a lot of similarities. Um, and I don't know if that was intentional or not. Maybe that's why I liked it, because you know, shoot me if you don't like it. But I kind of I kind of dig you know a lot of Manson's work. Well, we did. Me and Robert did part one, and we came to that determination. That he's got some. Just just listen to it. Uh, yeah, that's just go listen to part one of Marilyn Manson. We're probably gonna do part two probably soon. Don't have wait, if anyone has seen him now, man, he's let himself go. Dude, I know. It's, it's so sad. This is 2017 right now, man. His voice is like so shot. I mean, it's crazy. I, um, I feel real bad because, like, like I said, like I'm a fan of like you know his music from like you know, I like you know I could probably pick out like at least a couple songs out of any of his albums that I like. And it's it's a shame seeing someone you like listening to a lot like when you were younger in high school and they, oh man, they just. They're done. Yeah, complete. Well, uh, he might not be. He could come back. We'll but, you know. we'll talk about that when we do that episode. But oh, the kids are all wrong. Like the techno, dancey drums and stuff, and that uh, I I liked uh, "Love You to Death." Another song. Another song by a dark goth band called "Love You to Death." Another song. Tap on a song called "Love You to Death." I should start writing this down because I know. I, I've had at least like we'll set up a chalkboard for like in like bands that have songs called "Love You to Death." Yeah, we'll get a pie chart going. <laughs> so many bands that have that like that title for song, it's it's ridiculous. But honestly, like I just found this album a little repetitive, and I just found myself not liking it as much. And I hate to say, and I found a review that I think summed up my thoughts on this. I forget where I got this from. It's on my notes, but um, so I got it from somewhere. He said, it's not a bad album, more mainstream than the older ones, but when you listen to it carefully, you see that there's something missing. And, you know, you may not feel that way, but I felt that way, unfortunately. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to disagree. Like, it is missing some of the feel, like, from the other A little albums. bit more of the but like, it's personality. But, like, it's like I said, it's like... It's like a hot, like it's like a hot dog, really. Like you know, you don't want to really overanalyze the the ingredients, but if you like how a hot dog tastes, you like how a hot dog tastes. Man, so many of our listeners are vegan and vegetarian, so they're probably not gonna like this album. Well, you know, fight me. <laughs> <laughs> probably will. <laughs> they're all. It's all right. Kidding me? You gonna fight a goth audience? They're gonna be. It's all right if they don't like their if they don't like all that meat, they're not gonna get a lot of protein. So I think I have the advantage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um. That's a really, so weird. How do we get off on this tangent? But yeah, honestly, like I, I'm not gonna recommend this album just because I didn't like it. But obviously, you know, you recommend it in your own way, and you obviously enjoyed it. I mean, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's 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 like you know, it's kind of like the same with. Except like, you're wrong. Yeah, but, you oh know. yeah, you know, well, you know, mu- music just like movies. You know, you can enjoy a bad movie, and like it be one of your favorite movies, just like you can enjoy like a bad album and have it be one of your favorite albums. Yeah. Cause you know, just something about a song, whether it's not as good as the original, not could just click it in. Like I found like the kind of more upbeat tempo. Some of these songs kind of really drew me in. Mm-hmm. When I, like I said, I listened to a lot of this, these music, uh, a lot of these albums while I was at work. And like, uh, the last one oddities was just kind of just droned on for me. Uh, yeah. and kind of just was a real slow album to get through. This one kind of sped up for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, they, you know, that so makes sense. It's not the best album I'm gonna I'm gonna say, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's my favorite. You can defend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, so try that hot dog. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but um, okay, so I just that's the most recent album. I mean, it's ten years ago was the most recent album by London After Midnight. I do want to say, you know, the updates that we have on a new release from London After Midnight. Um, Sean Brennan posted on his official Sean Brennan's official Facebook, not the London After Midnight. It's really weird. He has like there's like a London After Midnight one, but then there's like official Sean Brennan one. And like Sean Brennan one posts more than the London After Midnight one. God, make up your mind, man. I know. That's always that's always tough. I know, like when artists have like yeah, you know. Whenever the personality it's kinda like how Trent Reznor could have his own thing. But it's like London After but Lightning Snails is like you're like, Oh, that's Trent Reznor's official Facebook. But then like it's like then if Trent Reznor had his own Facebook. But I don't yeah, you know. Well who am I guess I'm not the one running the whatever. But on Sean Brennan's official Facebook on May 8th, there was, um, he posted a picture from late 2016 in a different studio recording new London After Midnight music for a new release and the second oddities with Izara String Quartet. So, okay, you kind of, you kind of, lo- you had me and then you lost me when you said second oddities. I know, right? Uh, so he's, that dashed my hopes a little bit. So he posted a picture in May. On his Facebook... Not that, that kind of picture. Oh. Get your minds out of the gutters. Well, he <laughs> posted a picture on his Facebook that was from last year saying that he's working on a new album and a second Oddities release. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay. That, I know, that's complicated, hope, right? Hope restored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... As soon as you said second Oddities, I'm like, uh, uh, maybe not. Yeah, that so... The first one didn't really win me over. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to have uh, hopefully two releases. Uh, you know, it's and it's been slow. It's like a trickle for new m- stuff. And there's videos of him, like little snippets of him digitizing stuff on um, his YouTube. Which, by, Oh, which, by the way, London After Midnight have official video releases. They need to put them on YouTube, man. Yeah, get with the times, Brennan. All the stuff, you know, I hate to say it, that, but yeah, I actually agree. I think that there's very few London After Midnight things on youtube and very in fact that v- bootleg vhs tape i have over there is one of the only concerts of london after midnight that is like available and is on youtube it's like from 1995 or something like that like there's no footage from earlier than that as far as i i know i haven't seen you know there may be, i may get a flood of you know people sending me videos from you know earlier than that but i haven't really seen much earlier than like 94 95 for material and innocence lost vhs tape that has some official that's an official release so why don't why doesn't sean brennan just take that upload it maybe you know just up the contrast from a vhs tape or whatever source and just post it to youtube i mean there are there is official london after midnight video stuff it's not hard brennan anyone can do it i don't know i get i get really frustrated by that kind of stuff because it's like do it brennan Donnie will fight you. I guess I'm an. Uh, <laughs> oh Jesus! No, no, I will not. <laughs> We're selling tickets now. <laughs> oh Jesus! The like, Professor versus Brennan. Man. Saturday night ringside. <laughs> the fate of YouTube rests in the balance. It's gonna be hailed after midnight in London. <laughs> uh, it's the gonna the be. The fight actually takes place after midnight in London. It's gonna be broadcast across goth places. You could say it was gothcasted. Uh, oh. Um. Sorry, that was weird. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I I guess, you know, it's the archivist in me. I think that he should, 
take all the stuff out there. I think he should be making videos all the time talking about Lennon for Midnight. There's very few interviews. There's very few video interviews with Sean Brennan. You know, I obviously during the episode, through this episode, I pulled interviews and stuff from lots of places. There's lots of magazine interviews. Maybe he's like some kind of weird like machine like man, and he doesn't want people to know. I might be true, man. He's, he's pretty pretty. He's pretty 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 beautiful. There we go. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, but yeah, I just I wish that there was more Lennon for Midnight stuff, in my opinion. Because the albums and music, like like I said, I mean, they're really good. In fact, actually going in this episode, I thought taking an in-depth look at Millennium for a minute, I, was, I might be a little bit more disappointed. But, I mean, the first two albums really got me. And, I, you know, I think they're actually, especially the first album, it's like since oh, the yeah. other one, I think the album is a totally underrated classic. I really do. But I wish that, that Sean Brennan would post more and talk more about his music because everybody knows that the more stuff is out there, you know, the more information there is about like an album, the more information there is about an artist, it it helps get people more involved with them. You know, if they're talking to their audience more often or they're talking about the specific releases, you know. And people love people love the stories behind like how albums were recorded. And seeing an artist speak about their history and well, it's kind of like that thing you go to a concert and everybody's like, play the old stuff. You know? even, <laughs> even more fun than that is finding out how uh, artists came up with their names. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, there's, I like, some, there's some funny stories in those, in, in those out there. <laughs> this one's cool because it's you know, named after like a lost film. I like yeah. I like that. I guess, yeah, that's kind of my tangent over um, on the whole thing. I just, yeah. Uh-huh. But that's, uh, that's, that's a long after midnight. Of course, you heard our recommendations and stuff and hopefully some new stuff coming soon. I might do... I don't know, a review and talk about it sometime. If it ever comes out, <laughs> is what I mean. Yep. This has been episode 44 of Gothcast. I am Dr. Sanders. And I'm good old Jimmy Radioface. <laughs> Do not call yourself Jimmy Radioface. No, it's a one-time thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, won't happen again. Never uh, again. <laughs> yes, that's James. Yeah, this was James. <laughs> uh, this is second episode. Obviously, you're very comfortable on the podcast after one episode. Good choice. Yep. Um, it really helps that I can just sit here in like this, you know, skin tight outfit and just no one judges me. I like it. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very flattering. <laughs> yep. Uh so uh, of course you can check Gothcast out on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and the one that I ignore the most is Twitter. And if you can find it, AOL. <laughs> <laughs> find us on our AOL message board. Um <laughs> We also I uh, come out with video content on Gothcast Video. Not that uh, kind of video. And of course, uh, and then I just made a podcast archive channel specifically for YouTube. If you go to the Gothcast YouTube and you go to like little recommended channels thing, you know how like YouTube mm-hmm. channels, um, I'll say Gothcast Podcast Archive, and you can find literally all 43 of our other episodes. And then this one will be up there as well because people always have been complaining to me to put the podcast on YouTube because people like to just listen to stuff on YouTube. You know, mm-hmm. just the easiest way. So we have the Gothcast podcast archive on there. But if you want to see like my goth music collection or me review some stuff, um, look up Gothcast on YouTube. And, uh, you know, you see the pasty-faced, big-haired guy. That's me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, make sure to stay spooky. Spooky.